Brady, thank you so much for reading the passage for today. And welcome everyone to the church at Woodbine. It is a joy and privilege seeing all of you here today. If you are here for the first time, my name is Doug Jones and I'm the campus and teaching pastor here. And we just, our prayer and our hope for you in this cord, sorry, our hope for you is that you truly would experience our Heavenly Father's love that he has for you. For those of you online, we're so glad you've joined us. And I just want to remind you online and all of us here, if you ever participate in worship with us online, you're not watching worship. You are participating in worship. It's just might be a long, long way away. So we're glad you're with us. Here in Luke chapter 18, we're going to look at a very well-known parable. It's uh, the rich young ruler. Here in Luke, it's just rich ruler. In Mark and in Matthew, he's described as a young ruler. And we are going through the gospel of Luke. And we are only just a couple weeks away from Holy Week. And as Andrew mentioned at the very beginning, I hope and pray that during this time of Lent, that you are actually fasting. Rather, if it's one meal a week, or if it's one day a week, or if it's a couple days a week, there is tons of information about fasting and about prayer. And fasting is one of the great tools. It's called, many in many ways, the spiritual discipline that God has given us to grow in our intimacy and our love with Jesus. It is something that us Southern Baptists are not very good at doing. But I want to encourage you, fast and pray. If you don't know how to fast, invite me out to eat, and I would love to share over a meal with you how to fast. Oh, good. Some of you guys got that joke. Excellent. Here in Matthew 18, the young ruler, the rich young ruler. And we're going to talk about something today that's similar to last week. Last week, we talked about the cost of discipleship, what what we're required is to give up everything. And today, we're going to look at idols. What is an idol? It is anything or anyone in our lives that we place above God. It could be a job. It could be money. It could be a relationship. It could be our family. It could be ourselves. Anything that we place above as importance, as priority in our lives can be an idol. I think of my own life. Growing up, I grew up in the church. I became a Christian at an early age. But if I'm really honest with you, with myself, my idol was myself. I wanted to be a professional athlete. And I didn't care if it was football, basketball, or baseball. I wanted to be the next Michael Jordan, the next Bo Jackson. That would be LeBron James today or Stephon Curry One of those, that is all I live for. And even in high school, when I became a Christian, I lived for for sports. And I really just want to be wealthy and famous and well-known. But even outside of that, as God crushed that idol in my life, there are other, other idols in my life. Having been a missionary, sometimes my smartphone, sometimes my relationship with Christy becomes an idol. Tennessee football, and boy, God is destroying that idol, isn't he, Angela? The idol I have in my life that I'm trilingual. I can speak English, Spanish, and Southern. There are times I pride myself in that, and it becomes an idol. What idols are in your life? Here we have this rich young ruler. Here in Luke chapter 18, and we could actually preach probably about 20 sermons in this passage here. 
As we see at the very end of this passage in verse 33, 34, and 35, Jesus tells his disciples that they're going to Jerusalem. He has already set his mind on getting to Jerusalem because he knows everything. Jesus is God incarnate. Please don't forget the fact that Jesus knows all things. Nothing was a surprise for Jesus. And when Jesus asked a question, it's not because he doesn't know. Remember that when God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know. He already knows. But he tells them that he's going to go to Jerusalem and he'll be betrayed and he'll be flogged and he'll be beaten and he'll be spit upon and he'll be crucified and he will die. So that's where they're going. It's almost at the end of his life here on earth. And as they're traveling through Samaria, and remember last week, he was rejected by the Samaritans. And James and John wanted to call down fire. And then three people, Jesus addressed three people, and he invited one of them, come follow me. But they made an excuse. They all three made excuses. What excuses are you making to not follow Jesus, to not surrender to him? I hope there's no excuse. And here we have, right here in verse 18, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 18, a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. No one is good except God alone. Well, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. I have kept all of these from youth, he said. When Jesus heard this, He told him, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. Now, most of us know this story. And before we throw this young man under the bus, which is a saying in English, before we just say, ah, this guy doesn't know a thing. Let's really dive into what this passage is saying. And there's several observations I have here, and I love it. Like I said, we could preach several sermons out of this passage here. But this young man, this rich ruler, he comes up to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, there's a couple observations. The first one is this. His question is the wrong question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And today, in our day in life right now, there are many people who do ask, What do I need to do to get to heaven? That's the wrong question. There's nothing we can do to get to heaven except one thing, and that's believe. But it's not fulfilling a big, huge list of do's and not doing the don'ts. And if we're good enough, then maybe God might let us get into heaven. But I will say this. There are many people today that don't believe in heaven or hell, and they could care less about the afterlife. And if we ask the question, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? There's a lot of people today that just don't care. So as Christians, we have to begin to ask different questions. How can we share our faith with people who really don't care or believe what happens after they die? For many of them, they think we just become nothing. And that question, where do you think you'll go after you die, is not important to them. Because we live in a day and age where we're so narcissistic, we're so self-centered. Our idols are ourselves that we only live for ourselves and for the pleasure today. There's another thing here that really speaks powerfully to me, and it's Jesus' response. Why do you call me good? There is no one good but God alone. 
And I've said this several times, too many of us believe that we are inherently good. There are too many humans that think that we're good. And Scripture is very clear. There is no one good. Jesus just says it right here. Why do you call me good? There is only one person, one who is good, and that's God alone. So what is Jesus telling him, telling this young man about who Jesus is? He's God. Jesus indirectly is telling this man right here, I'm God. Do you see it? Can you read in between the lines that Jesus is declaring himself as God? Because he does not deny what this man says about Jesus being the good teacher. This is awesome stuff. This is God in the flesh talking to this young man. And Jesus does not deny the fact that he is calling him a good teacher. Thus, Jesus saying, yes, I'm the good teacher because I'm God in the flesh. And then Jesus sets this young man up, and I love it. Jesus kind of asks a question by making a statement. You know the commandments. And he rattles off commandment 5 through 9. There are 10 commandments that we know of. And again, too many of us think that as long as I do more of the good than the bad, God will let me in. Mm -mm. These commandments basically reveal to us how sinful we are and our need for a Savior. And this young man, he is the epitome of a good, religious, upstanding Jewish young man. If we were living in his community in that time, we would think that this young man was the greatest of all young Jewish men. He would be the one that everyone would want their daughters to marry. I truly believe that this young man right here was sincerely asking Jesus without arrogance, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was faithful, he was obedient, he was true, he was responsible. He was like some of us today. And I don't think he came to Jesus with arrogance in his heart or his mind. I truly think that as he heard Jesus preach and teach and as he saw the miracles, I think inside he knew that he was lacking and missing something. And I think that he knew that just obeying the law and being a faithful Jewish man was not enough, that he was missing the mark. And so he comes up to Jesus boldly and asks, what must I do? And here Jesus, in a very loving way, he is setting him up. I had a good friend that played golf in in college. And he would say, tee it high and let her fly. Jesus is setting this young man up. He is teeing him up like a golf ball on a very high tee. And Jesus is getting ready to whack him hard. In a loving way, he's ready. He's getting ready to hit him very hard at the very heart of this man's idol, which was his wealth. Jesus sets him up by, well, what about the commandments? Honor your father and mother. Do not lie. Do not cheat. Do not rob. Do not kill. All those things. And how does this young man respond? He says, I've kept them all since my youth. And I don't think he's saying, I've been perfect. I think he's truly responding. You know, I've been really good. I'm obeying the commandments. But I think inside, but I'm still lacking something. I know there's something inside that's not connecting. Why does Jesus start with the second tablet? Because see, the first tablet, the first four commandments are all about, you shall have no other God before me. You shall not make any idol and bow down to it. Honor the Sabbath. The first four commandments are our relationship with God and us. And the next six are with our relationships with one another. 
Why is Jesus doing that? Because he's going to hit this young man at the very crux of his heart, his pride and his trust and his wealth. Because this young man, though on the outside looking like to everyone else that he was a good, faithful, obedient young man in the Jewish faith. Inside, he was utterly corrupt and he was idolatrous because his God, his idol was his money and his wealth. That was his God. That was his idol. Do you see it? He was trusting in his wealth and he didn't want to give it up. And Jesus knows that. So he's setting him up in a very loving way. And when Jesus told him, he says, you lack one thing. And Jesus answer, it looks like it might be okay. We're saved by works. No, we're not saved by works. It's by grace. But Jesus knew that the idol of this man was his wealth. And Jesus does not tolerate sin. He says in Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Unfortunately, some people have taken that literally and they've maimed themselves. It's a hyperbole. But what it means is that we should not allow sin to fester in our lives and we need to destroy sin and not give a... Oh, what's the word in English? A foothold for Satan or for sin in our lives. But we need to destroy it. When the Israelites went into Canaan, the promised land, what were they commanded to do? Destroy everything because it would become a a hindrance. It would become a stumbling block. And what was hindering this man from truly knowing Jesus and having eternal life was his wealth, his idol. And it says that he, after he heard this in verse 23, he became extremely sad. How sad? Oh, y'all sleeping. Y'all need to stand up. How sad? Let's stand up. Come on. If y'all are participating online, stand up. Please do. He became extremely sad. If you can't stand up, you don't have to understand. Say extremely. Extremely sad. Oh, okay, repeat. Okay, y'all sit down. Good job, guys. If you're participating online, you need to stay standing. I'm just messing with you. Mortified. Utterly mortified. It says in Matthew that he walked away and left. It also says in Mark... Right here that when Jesus says you lack one thing, in the Mark passage it says this, looking at him, it's Mark 10, 21. Looking at him, that's Jesus looking at this young man. What does it say on your screen? He loved him. Jesus loved this man so much that he was willing to speak the truth that hurt That does not sound like the love of our culture today. The love of our culture today is to tolerate people in their sin and in their mess and in their hypocrisy. And we use all types of excuses. I don't want to offend. I don't want to be judgmental. I don't know them good enough. Now, Jesus being the son of God, he knew this man. He knew him deeply and utterly. But on the flip side, he didn't know this man from Adam. I mean, he knew him because he was Jesus. 
But this man just came up to Jesus. This man doesn't know Jesus from diddly squat. And Jesus says he looked at him and he loved him. He loved him so much that he was willing to tell him the truth. How many of us, out of fear of rejection, in other words, we are more concerned about ourselves, an idol, that we will not tell a dear brother or sister when they are wrong or when they have idols in their lives or when they have sinned. And we make all types of excuses. And most of those excuses is to protect ourselves. That we do not say the truth. And we're not quite as forthright as we should be. Now I know that Jesus shared because we know he loved him. And when Jesus loves, his love, which is agape love, is a 100% commitment for the well-being of another person. I know Jesus said when he said this, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give it away to the poor. Distribute it to the poor. Then come follow me. I know that Jesus said it with all boldness and with unbelievable tenderness in his heart. And I can imagine as that young man walked away, it broke Jesus' heart. Because, see, Jesus came to reveal the Father. And our Heavenly Father is not some angry ogre who's just standing waiting for us to mess up and then stomp us out. But he's a loving heavenly father who gets down on the ground with us like we're little toddlers and he embraces us. When we used to live in Mexico, we had come home, we had fly in here to Nashville and my in-laws live here in Nashville. Some of you know my father-in-law, my mother-in-law. And they'd be waiting for us at the airport right outside of security. And I can still remember when Sammy was one and a half, two years old, and then three, four, and then Eric, and then Margie. And Sammy has this big cow lick. And sorry, son, I'm teasing you. But he's got this big cow lick back here on his hair. And the Sammy would go running off to go embrace his papa. And his papa would be down on one knee with his arms extended wide saying, Welcome to Nashville. And Sammy would go running off with this big grin. And this, his hair would just be flapping in the wind. A rooster tail. A big smile from ear to ear. And they would embrace And it's an incredible image of the love that our Heavenly Father has for us, wanting to embrace us. The question is, are we willing to run to our Heavenly Father, throwing off the idols that hinder us, that bind us up and keep us from the love of our Heavenly Father? The idol in this young man's life was his wealth. And he left, he rejected Jesus. He heard the truth. He heard the truth spoken in love. And as he heard the truth, he became utterly sad. And he was not willing to surrender that idol of his wealth to follow Jesus. Now, some theologians say that this young man here was John Mark. The man who wrote the gospel, Mark, who was Peter's associate and also Paul's traveling companion. And some people think that he helped Peter write 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Some theologians believe that this was John Mark. We don't know. But let's imagine if this young man, what would have happened if right there on the spot he would have repented of his idolatry of his wealth? We don't know how wealthy he was, but can you imagine the impact this man would have had for Jesus if he is like, I'll do it. 
and he distributes, he sells everything that he has and he gives it to the poor. And he chooses to follow Jesus. Could you imagine the impact that Jesus would have for his kingdom by using the talents and treasures of this young man for his kingdom? You see, we have a heavenly father who loves to give gifts. All throughout scripture, Jesus shares it in several parables. There's a couple of them in Matthew. He talks about the parable of the talents. How this owner, he gave one, five talents to one servant and two talents to another servant and one talent to a third servant. And after a time, each he called each to account. And one servant said, hey, here's, you gave me five talents and I've invested. Here's five more. And look at the words of the, of the master. Here's what Matthew 21, I believe, Chris. Look at what the master tells him. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Later in that same, in that same book, in that same gospel, Jesus is talking about the sheep and the goats. And look at what Jesus says. He says, then the king will say, and this is Jesus on judgment day. He'll say, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. We have a loving heavenly father who will give us crowns. Judgment day for us as his sons and daughters will not be a horrendous, terrible, wicked day. It'll be a glorious day when our heavenly father, when our King Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And he will give us crowns and he will bring us into his kingdom. Now, as Protestants, many of us have a hard time believing and accepting that. Because we have this false notion of what humility really is. But our heavenly father, he's watching us and he's given us gifts and talents and treasures and time And yes, he is watching us, but the punishment that we so deserve for our sin has already been hung on the cross. It's already been paid for, and there is no condemnation. We don't have to fear any condemnation. And it's not because we've earned it or deserved it, but it's because Jesus has given it, because he gave his life, as we see at the end of this story, where he was turned over to beatings and to being spit upon and flogged and crucified. He took our punishment. And I don't know why this has just been going on on and on for many weeks for me. And I know people here need to hear it. If you believe in Jesus, you're utterly forgiven. You are a daughter. You are a son of our heavenly father, and he loves you dearly. And he sits down with you, and he embraces you. And he can't wait to tell you when you see him face to face, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, Scripture says we'll lay all those crowns right back down at his feet and worship him because he's the only one worthy. What idols are in your life? They could be very good things. This young man, it was his wealth. And you got to laugh at Peter. But Jesus goes on very quickly. Here in verse, verse, what is it? Verse 24. Seeing that he became sad, Jesus said, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
You know, there's an urban legend that talks about that there used to be this gate outside the gates of Jerusalem that was called the Eye of the Needle, and every camel that was carrying goods had to get on its knees and go through that gate. And whatever that could get through the gate, that was what could they could bring into the city. That's urban legend. That's not true. The Eye of a Needle. How big is an Eye of a Needle? Think about it. A little needle that you can prick your finger with. Can a camel go through that? Absolutely not. And back in Jesus' day, People who were blessed financially were considered to be blessed from God. I hear that all the time here. People who are wealthy, oh, you know, God's blessed them. And I want to ask the question, what about the hundreds of millions of brothers and sisters who love Jesus, who don't have a single quarter or peso or whatever to rub together, and they're poor as dirt. They're poorer than dirt. They're not blessed by God. Because blessed are the poor. And Jesus has a heart for the poor and for the, for the wretched, for the outcast, for the lost, for the forgotten, and for the broken. But back in Jesus' day, so much like our day, the wealthy were considered the most blessed by God. And if they can't get into heaven, what about us? And that's where Jesus says, you know, for man, this is impossible. But for God, all things are possible. You might think that the idols in your life, and I pray and hope that Holy Spirit is really pressing you hard right now. You might think, no, Jesus, I can't give that up. I can't give up that relationship. I can't give up that money. I cannot give up my past. I cannot give up my career. I cannot give up myself because I'm too selfish to do that. I hope Holy Spirit is pressing you down really hard. But I want to encourage you with God, if you trust Jesus, if you lay your idols at his feet, he will crush them for you and give you the strength to stand up and follow him. And here you got to laugh at Peter. Peter in verse 28. Then Peter said, look, what about us? Now that's Doug Jones translation. I mean, think about it. Peter, to me, seems like he's rebuking Jesus. Hey, well, what about us? I mean, we've left everything to follow you. And for some of us, that's our idol. Life isn't fair. We feel like we've given and we've given and we've given. And Jesus asks us to give more. And we look over at others and we're like, well, what about Andrew? What about Steph? What about Farron? What about Sammy? What about Rockin? And Jesus says this amazing statement. He says in verse 29, whoever has left house, wife, or brothers, or sisters, parents, or children because of the kingdom, you will not receive, uh, who will not receive many times more at this time in eternal life and age to come. Jesus has to be first. He suffers no idols. And if we trust in him, if we trust in him, he will give us the strength to help us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, to run the race with great perseverance, obtaining the goal of eternal life because of his grace and mercy. Worship team, I'll invite you back up. Trevor, if you don't mind coming up. And Chris, we're going to jump to that last slide just with the questions. I want everybody to stand. I have a couple questions slash statements. Those of you worshiping online, please stand if you can. 
At first, it's more of a statement than anything else. The cost to follow Jesus, it costs us everything. Everything. Are you willing to pay that cost? Now, we can't with our own strength, with our own presence, with our own ability. It requires us to surrender. We surrender all to Jesus and we build our lives upon him. Oh, Chris, go to the next slide, please. Sorry. Next one. It's with the questions. Sorry. It's our response. There we go. An idol is anything in our lives. Anything other than God that we think that we could that we think that we would be miserable without. So my question for you is what idols in your life that are keeping you from following Jesus? What are those idols in your life that are keeping you from following Jesus? Are you willing to lay them at his feet? And so that we're not self-centered in this sermon, it's always good to hear what Holy Spirit has for us. But here's another question I want to ask all of you. Ask myself this. It says that Jesus, when he saw this young man, it says he loved him. He loved him and then he spoke the truth and it was a hard truth that hurt. It was tough love. So my question for you is this. Who has God put in your life? Whom you love? But you have not been truthful or forthright with what, what they need to hear. Sorry, my English is horrible today. What they need to hear. Who in your life whom you love dearly but you haven't been truthful or forthright with about ways they're living and you know they're living in sin. You know they're not doing the right thing and you have not spoken the truth to them because you love them but because you're afraid. Are you willing to go to that person this week in a very humble, loving way, speak the truth in love? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this incredible day. Jesus, we thank you that you love us enough. You will speak the truth to us even though it hurts. And you love us enough that you died on the cross for our sins and that you love us enough that you, Father, have adopted us as your sons and as your daughters. And Lord Jesus, may we trust in you today for the strength and grace to lay all our idols at your feet and to follow you with all that we are. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.